Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thank you for being joining us on Grip Chat. So, Thanks, Yeah, Jordan, yeah, Jordan. Yeah, yeah go for it. I bit about you, Sorry, um, <laughs> um, there's no um, I can't read the question. So, Sarah, uh, welcome to Crypto. Yes. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No, it's all good. So, Sarah, tell us a bit about yourself and your music career. Um, yeah, well, um, <laughs> so I'm in Queensland and um, I've always loved music. Um, I used it as my voice probably from age six. And, um, yeah, just took to the piano straight away and I loved it and singing. And then... Um, as a kid, I always dreamed of having a music career, but um, I didn't know about my disabilities at the time and they stopped me from being able to have a career. But then um, later on, I was able to start really good productions. So um, giving me and anybody else who struggles to have a career a chance to perform on stage. That's the basics of it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing, oh, Sarah. So, look, uh, tell us, Sarah, uh, how has the journey been for you? Um, You know, from when you started in the music industry to now? Um, yeah, um, good question. <laughs> I guess it's been a really rough journey because um, there was a lot of things that I didn't understand about myself. Um, so it's just taken decades to figure that out and to, um, you know, understand my body and understand, you know, being autistic 
and doing a lot of healing along the way, um, trying not to fall into bitterness and, and anything negative while, while on the journey and, you know, having to research and fight for answers and, and things like that. Um, it's really great today that there is a lot more knowledge and that that knowledge is being spread around. So it's definitely a lot easier today. Like if I had been, you know, starting that journey now, it wouldn't have taken so long and it would have been easier. Yeah. But it's great to be out the other side, you know, to be on my feet, understand myself. Yeah. No, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, Sarah, so don't mind me asking, how did you deal with uh, the attitudes and I guess uh, the assumptions uh, that you couldn't do it? How did you manage to deal with that? Um, I guess because there wasn't the support and information that I needed, um, I just... <laughs> Um, looked around for any opportunities that there were that I could do, whether it's what I dreamed of doing or not, because I thought there's no harm in learning whatever I can learn. And um, through doing that, uh, like volunteering in the community and stuff, I met all these really cool people. And um, I guess I just took all that knowledge took the knowledge on you that was applicable for me and uh, wrote it all down and kept it in a book, just hoping that one day I might get the chance. And um, so I think that that's really, that was really what made, gave me the opportunity in the end. Um, yeah, so I, I have called organizations or emailed them and just said hey in regards to this situation um you know and, and sort of had a, started a discussion with them um there's no point in getting angry or bitter or cynical because that doesn't get you anywhere um and so we are you know not everyone's willing to have a discussion so you've just got to you know leave them alone and take a break and then try again, you know, later on somewhere else. But a lot of people are willing to have that discussion. And so, yeah, I guess that's what I did, just tried to have discussions. But I always made sure I did it when I was um, in, a, in the right place to do it. You know what I mean? Like if you're yeah. too sick, too tired or too stressed from the situation, then, um, you know, you personally aren't up for the discussion either. So, yeah, there's a lot of waiting, a lot of waiting, a lot of patience. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's all good. I guess uh, great things uh, yeah, take time. Um, no, all good. So, uh, you said that you met really cool people. Has that helped you build your confidence to where you are today? I'm struggling without captions. Sorry, can you ask that again? Sorry. Uh, you said that you met cool people along the way. Has uh, that helped you build yeah, your confidence to where you are today? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't 
think so because their story and journey is very different to mine. I appreciated meeting them um, because it, it for that rare moment of connection. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to connect with people very often. So, you know, I appreciated that moment of connection. Um, but my confidence, I think, has always been in me because I have a kind of don't give up, that kind of grit inside of me, determination. And so it's my determination that has given me the confidence and trusting myself, trusting that like, I have said yes to doing things. And then as soon as I've said yes, I'm like, oh my gosh, can I pull this off? I've, I've just said yes to whatever was available because nothing much really was. And then I figured out how to do it later. And uh, look, honestly, it's never gone wrong because I believe in myself. And yeah, it just comes from determination, I think. And and knowing my worth that- um, No, that's awesome. I just, yeah. No, that's great to hear, that's great to hear. I mean, it's also, you know, that, you know, your determination as I guess well, your confidence. Um, in terms of support, uh, have you, are you getting the support that you need uh, today, as opposed to when you started in the music career? Um, you definitely have good support now. Um, that started probably in the last couple of years. So when everybody went online, was forced online, um, that honestly was the only thing that opened up doors. Because I couldn't go to conferences and travel and do these things in person, um, I missed out on everything. But when everything became online and there were artists and musicians looking for work, that definitely did open up the world to me. So that's when I started really good productions because I knew if I didn't do it then, it would never happen. Um, and it's still taken a while to find the right team, but um, I've got somebody starting uh, to work with me in April and he'll be the last member of the team that I need. Yeah, so it's very exciting. Nice, nice. No, that's, uh, that's awesome. And in terms of uh, your production, uh, have you, or can you, I guess, uh, tell us a preview of the music that you've made? Or where can you we go to get, you know, such a copy? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. have a look at some home recordings on YouTube. So, really good productions on YouTube. You can watch some home recordings. Um, the album, the official album is still nice. being edited, but it will come out soon. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, watch his face, people. Can't wait to hear it. Wait to hear it. <laughs> that's that, that's that. Thanks. And yeah. that's all. No, awesome, awesome. And yeah, no, are there awesome. any, I guess, advice for people who want to get into the music industry? 
Sorry, can you get into the music industry? Ah, okay. I think it's really important to trust your own body and not let anybody uh, tell you that you can't do something or tell you how to do something. I found that one of the biggest issues and setbacks for me was everyone in the industry trying to tell me how to sing or how to use my body, um, what posture I must have. Um, I think that the industry is slowly starting to move away from that now. It's starting to recognise that posture doesn't have to, it's not meant to be the same for everyone, that all of our bodies are different. And also your body, um, your posture is different when you're tired than when you're wide awake and full of energy and well rested. Um, so um, I think slowly it's improving in that knowledge but I do know that um, because I didn't hold my body the way that, you know, every singer was told to and every dancer was told to or performer, um, that definitely took away all of my opportunities. Um, but now, yeah, I, so I guess, you know, I've learned that when you approach someone to work with them, that you say to, you get in straight away, don't let them talk first introduce yourself confidently and then say to them all right let's get stuck into it you tell me what you need and i'll tell you how i can do it because if you wait for them to express to no, explain cool. what they you know ex if you wait for them to talk first then by the time you tell them well hey i can't really sit in that chair or I can't really do that, but this is what I can do. It's too late. You're going to lose them. Um, you've got to come in confidently, immediately say, all right, what is it you want? Okay, great. This is how I can do it. When did we start? And if you have that kind of attitude, that's how you're going to actually be remembered. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that's a great tip, sir. Thank you for that, Sarah. Uh, Jonathan, do you have any questions or thoughts you want to ask? What was the inspiration behind your book Yes, um, I wrote my book because I've been involved with the disability community for a, a long time now. Um, I've been involved with QDN. Um, I'm also the Queensland Associate Director for Physical Disability Australia and so and, and local community as well um, because I'm passionate about you know communities thriving and supporting each other. Um, so one thing that you notice is that um, obviously children ask questions about things they don't know. And we all know what it's like when you're out in public and there's a family there with young kids and they stare at us or they point um, and things like that. And parents' typical response is don't stare. 
um, or they just sort of like pull the kid away and drag the kid away or don't ask that or something. And so, um, well, again, while this is improving, there are a lot more parents these days who actually say things like, well, why don't you ask? Just go up and ask them, which is a wonderful response because yeah. that's teaching the child, well, the, you know, we're, we're all equal, we're all the same and differences is fine. Um, and it's teaching them to be able to talk with other people. Um, if you say things like don't stare, then that has a negative connotation, even though parents don't mean it to. So I thought I'd write a book to help parents have that discussion with their children because you don't know what to say if you're not familiar with, you know, with something. And a lot of people are not familiar with the disability community. No. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Thank you for that, and and the Tell us about the disability community and also dealing with our children. Yes. Okay. So um, from your point of view, Sarah, uh, how do you, I guess, uh, um, impose yourself in the disability community. So how do you feel being part um, of the disability community? So how do I embrace myself in the disability community? Yes. Is that the question? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a question. Um, I'm, I'm honestly wondering if I understand the question. <laughs> so do you mean like how do I accept myself and um, or find my identity in the disabled community? Is that kind of what you mean? That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. Sorry okay. for the miscommunication. Yeah. Embracing your identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that's all right. That's all right. I think we're all struggling. There's sometimes crackling and stuff. That's all right. Um, yeah, okay. Well, that was a, a long journey. I think once I understood my disabilities, um, that was obviously the starting point. It's really difficult to be able to accept things or know how to work with them and, and, and enjoy your life if you don't understand and you lack the knowledge. Once I found all the information that I needed about my my disabilities and and what that meant for me and how to manage them and work well with them, then I could start the journey of finding my identity. Um, I think the first identity that I I struggled with or that I I you know searched for was the the wheelchair one, you know the physical limitations um especially when people can't see what the problem is um and at first like for a while i didn't want to actually see myself in a wheelchair so you know like when you're going past glass shop windows and you see a reflection i would never look um got to a point where i looked and you know it's a bit confrontational but um you know at, at some point you've just got to go yeah this is me and you know um this wheelchair is great it gets me you know gives me a life um and i found that as long as i was worried about what people might say when they saw me get up and and stand up or walk out of my wheelchair then um, people would do that as soon as you stop being afraid or worried your vibes change and then everyone else responds to you according to to your vibes so if you're worried or, or scared, then they're going to give that back. But if you feel confident in yourself and you're just like, yeah, all right, I need a wheelchair a lot, but I can actually do a bit of walking or whatever. And um, they pick up on your vibe and they, they change how they respond to you. So then that was the first one. And then I had to find my identity as um, somebody who's hard of hearing and um, all of the different elements that come with that because hard of hearing doesn't just mean one thing. And my experience with hearing loss is very different to a lot of other people with hearing loss. So I felt like I was all alone and I didn't have anyone who understood. But um, just, you know, I started learning Auslan and I joined the deaf community and it didn't take long then for me to find my identity um, because I put myself out there. Um, and then the third identity that I had to find was the autistic one. Um, that was tricky um, because um, that was a lot harder to find correct information. But once I did, again, it's like, oh, I understand myself now. So, yeah. So, Jonathan, your question, yes. Um, you want to hear about the two characters in my book? and yeah. the disability themes that I want to pass on. So my target audience, it, I know it seems like it's children. I guess it is it's children and adults because this is very much also for the adults too, to help support them um, when they're answering children's questions. And, and the book was designed to, for both the adults and the children. So the two characters are Pip and Mim. Pip is deaf and uh, Mim uses a wheelchair and they're best friends. 
The book starts out with introducing them and explaining what a wheelchair is and explaining what hearing aids are. The wording that I've used is very particular because um, a lot of people still think that everyone who uses a wheelchair is paralyzed, um, where of course there's so many reasons. And um, a lot of people, like 90% of people who use wheelchairs have some movement in their legs. Even if they can't walk, there's still some sort of movement and there's feeling. So um, anyway, so then after you're introduced to um, the wheelchair and the hearing aids, then um, the book focuses on what makes Mim and Pip the same as all the other kids. And the story plays out in a park where all of the children play ball together and they they learn um, how Mim can play ball in a wheelchair and they and and things like that. And then it the the last section helps adults and children to feel more at ease about interacting with disabled people. So it, it gives information like it's basically saying don't assume you know what they need. It's okay to ask, <laughs> but it's also yeah. okay for them to decline your offer and say, no, thanks, I've got it sorted, it's all in hand. Um, a lot of able-bodied people don't like being told, um, thanks for the offer, but I'm okay. They don't like being told that and they'll take over anyway and cause trouble. So, yeah, that's kind of what the focus is and, um, you know, the kind of um, help or, you know, theme that I've, I wanted to get out there. And it's the first in a series of six, the second book I'm writing at the moment, and it's going to introduce their pets, Mim's paralysed cat that's got a harness with wheels and um, Pip's deaf dog who he signs with. I should also add there is um, Auslan in the books as well. So there is Auslan in this book. And um, yeah, and then once you meet their pets, you then get introduced to um, other children with different disabilities to Pip and Mim and their assistance animals. Um, so like there's a guide dog and a hearing dog, an emotional, you know, emotional support animal. And, um, and then there's a different um, a support dog for disabilities like EDS or POTS where they have a, a very different and yet still very specific duty like deep pressure massage and things like that so that's what the second book is going to be about and then the con the other books are all going to um have children with different disabilities to mim and pip um because there are a lot of misconceptions out there like strokes only happen to old people or um you know all kinds of interesting thoughts yeah so i just wanted to get it all out there Ah, cool, cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, what's the name of your book? It's called Different Yet the Same. Oh, yeah. So be sure to check it out, people. Um, you know, how can we have 10 of coffee? How can we have 10 of coffee? Um, my website. So, um, my website is wheeliegoodproductions.org, wheelie with an I-E. Um, Jonathan's asked me another question. 
how do you use mm -hmm. arts as a vehicle for inclusion for people with disabilities? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. good question. Um, so um, I just looked at what I needed but didn't have. And then um, as I started looking at that, it, you know, it, it occurred to me that there are a lot of able-bodied hearing people in the industry that really struggle. Um, there's a really high percentage of mental health issues in the performing arts. Um, and I thought, you know, everybody deserves to work in an environment that um, is good for their health and well-being, whatever that may look like. And so I started coming up with ways of um, where being inclusive for everybody, you know, every age, every physical ability, um, different cultures, you know, whatever, and and actually have a fully immersive, in, inclusive uh, cast or work working environment um, where everybody gets an equal opportunity, an equal chance. And I, I think, you know, that's the message I want to get out there is with my shows is I don't want anybody highlighted above anybody else. Um, I've even been denied doing an audition just because of my voice type. They wouldn't even let me sing. They wouldn't even let me audition at all just because I'm a mezzo. So that's not even because of my health issues or my disability. Um, I, I was just blown away. Um, and uh, he had bias because of past experiences. And then he just coloured everyone with the same brush. So um, then actually that particular person, he saw me performing in a concert and um, he was blown away by my voice and apologised profusely afterwards and he told me he'd learned his lesson. So that was nice. Um, so I wanted to come up with a different format. Everybody works by the same rules and I thought we don't have to. I wanted to come up with a different format so that everything that I write, all the musicals and shows that I write could be easily adapted to whatever cast wants to put it on. And I came up with a couple of really good ideas. Um, and in the end, we're going to focus on writing shorter musicals because they're honestly, they're a lot quicker to write. And um, people who don't have a lot of energy can perform the whole show then as well. So I'm He's coming back. So Um, I'm going to need you to type the, this question, all the questions down, please, Jonathan. Sorry. Are you asking me how I cope with the physical and emotional demands? Is that the one? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, all right. So um, that was a tricky one to work out. Um, I realized that I need to have nothing to do with people before and after the show. Part of my condition means that I get a massive adrenaline rush and this can be, you know, ages before the show even starts. But the problem with that is by the time I'm performing, I have um, a, a, a dump. So I'm, I'm really fatigued, I'm weak, I can't even sit up, I can't talk. Um, not exactly ideal for performing. So if I completely cut myself off from everybody before and after performing um, and keep that quiet, that really helps. I never perform alone. I always have at least one other person so that I can actually lie down in between each, um, you know, piano solo or song or whatever I'm doing. Um, the only downside to this is that, um, yeah, I mean, I don't like it. It it, it, is, it does make me sad. But um, in order to stop that massive adrenaline boost, um, it means I can't actually enjoy myself. I have to completely deaden everything inside of me. Um, I mean, you want to get out there and enjoy yourself and have fun, but that actually makes causes a flare-up. So, um, yeah, but, hey, I'm just grateful that I can I can do it because I still have those memories and I still did it and I, I still shared my talents. So I kind of enjoy it after the fact, you know, but not so much during, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people with my condition, they've asked the same thing. I've, I've seen this in the chats, the support groups on, online. And I said, hey, look, I'm sorry, but this is the only thing I've come up with. And they're like, yeah, I thought that might be the only way to go, but oh well. So would you like me to share some experiences? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um let me think. Um, one of the first things that comes to my mind was when I got my wheelchair, I did not have a ramp on my house. So I was doing fundraising and one of the things I did was hold a concert and I, I grabbed a whole heap of people that I know to come and perform. Um, I had written a big, massive piano solo that I can't even really play professionally enough because of my disability um but um i played it and i said to the audience um i don't have a title for it so um i brought in a prize and i brought in pens and paper and asked everyone to write down a title 
and um, going through everyone's responses and seeing what the piece of music made them think of was really cool. Um, I came across the best title ever, loved it. Um, so I think that's probably the first ex first thing that comes to my mind. Um, I'm lucky that I got to perform in Lamey's Rub before I needed the wheelchair and before my eyesight and hearing got worse um, because there's no way I could pull that off now. So very fortunate to do that. I'll tell you a funny story. I did sing with the Royal Melbourne Philharmonic Orchestra in 2013. Um, and uh, the MSO were doing a performance of Lord of the Rings at that time with Maestro Ludwig Vicky. He's the one that conducted the music for the films. And uh, when he retired, he, from, you know, movies, um, he, uh, what's the word I'm after, edited all of the music um, so that the movies could be watched with the music, uh, an orchestra playing the music live. Uh, because when they're doing it for the film, they're, yeah, it, it's not like a live it's orchestra. There's a lot of bits that they do separately and, and, and all kinds of interesting things. So he edited the music so we could do that live to the film. But the thing is that they didn't have the right seat. So technically, if you're sitting for a short time, then um, the seat sort of tip forward a little bit. And then if you're um, sitting a long time, it's got to tip more that back that way so that, you know, gravity is not pulling you forward off the seat. Well, with my disability, um, that amplified the need for correct seating for sitting for three and a half hours straight, um, even more. And um, But they had the wrong seats and they were tilted forward. Now, I've got a weird kind of scoliosis, so my right scapula does stick out. I've got a winged scapula. So because of the material of my dress, I was literally sliding off the seat the whole three hours. So I had to put my scapula over the back of the seat to stop me from falling off. And um, obviously, you know, my body didn't like that later, but, you know, um, you do what you got to do. And then... Um, Every time we sang, we stood up, but I unfortunately was positioned behind the tubular bells, which are, you know, really, really high and the long bells hanging from a frame. So I kind of had to like be all warped and everything to try and see the conductor. But I really loved doing that because film orchestras um, are quite different to symphonic orchestras. They don't have all of the same instruments so um, being able to sit in amongst, um, you know, behind a Celeste and um, see how the percussionists made the sound of the orc footsteps when they're marching was so exciting and just sit right behind that. Um, so uh, it might have taken six months for my body to recover, but, you know, I mean, I would, I, I would do it all again. Um, because that was an amazing experience. I did manage to get a signature of Maestro Ludwig Vicky, um, and I thanked him for, you know, traveling the world and doing this and giving people a chance to do shows like that. Um, and I, ex I expressed to him my absolute delight in seeing a Celeste in person. Um, I'd learned about them when I was six and I never thought I'd get to see one. So um, he said, oh, I'll come up and play it. So I did. 
I know, one piece off by heart. It was perfect for the Celeste even. And, um, yeah, there was a whole entourage of people that came up on the stage saying I wasn't allowed to be playing that, that Maestro had no right to tell me I could because it's not his. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Are we up to the last question now? Yes. I missed the first part of that. I got the end. Are there any final thoughts you would like to share with oh, our audience? Um, well, um, obviously I'd like everybody to know that really good productions is um does exist um that we are writing shows to give access and it's not just to the disabled um actors and the deaf actors and singers um you know we do we don't have opportunities the the only opportunities for disabled actors are anyone who's got really good health um so i just um you know want to let everybody know yeah i am writing these and i will be selling them so people anywhere can perform them um we're finishing off uh, scripts this year so next year we'll um, we'll be ready to perform and sell the rights to these shows um but the other audience that really misses out um i was really fortunate to to speak with a group of people um, at Apex in Cairns last year. So that's the Australian Performing Arts Exchange where um, producers and presenters from all over the country meet and people get to do um, present the, the idea of their show for these presenters and producers and hopefully, you know, get chosen to perform. Um, and I did speak with um, a, a lovely group of uh, actually, they're all disabled, um, of young people from South Australia. And I was explaining to them that what I wanted to do was write all of these shows and then sell the rights so that everybody had the chance to perform um, in a way that's good for them. And uh, their leader, their, their teacher said to me um, how grateful she was for that because... Um, uh, every one of the cities assumes that people in rural towns need to be entertained. They don't think about the fact that the rural towns have a lot of talent in them and um, don't give them the opportunity to actually join in and perform themselves. So um, I realised that there was a whole um, other group of people that deserved the opportunity to perform as well. Um, yeah, so you know, get, get onto my website and sign up to um, um, sign up so that I can keep you informed. I'm on YouTube um, and I'm on Facebook. Just know that I don't work the same as everyone else because I do have chronic illness and 
um, and disability myself um, and I haven't had um, all of the support that I've needed to work, you know, the way that you need to in order to be seen, etc. But I am there and um, I always do updates when there is something to update. I just work a lot slower than everyone else, as I'm sure this audience understands and appreciates. But um, also, I think really what's important for everyone to remember is that the whole purpose behind the arts seems to have been forgotten in this day and age. And I just want to remind everybody that if you have always wanted to learn music or dance or photography or any type of the arts, then go for it. A lot of people uh, limit themselves because they believe that you should only have lessons or experience it if you're talented. What I'd like to say to that is you, the individual, and your family and friends, none of you know how to recognise potential. And um, so please don't make a decision and limit yourself based on that because none of, none of you know how to gauge potential and recognise it. And I see this a lot with my students when I'm teaching singing and piano and I've said to my students, that was fantastic, loved it. That's exactly what we wanted. But they don't understand why I'm saying that because they've still got so far to go in whatever they're learning. And when I try and explain to them, it's because we're focusing on this one little bit. And with that one little bit, that's exactly what we wanted. And so um, that's why I'm saying that. And they still feel very much like you can't praise it because we're not finished yet or I'm not good enough yet or something. And I find this very sad and I do find it a bit troubling um, because if that's how they feel about learning piano or singing or whatever in the arts, then that's how they they see themselves everywhere in life. And to me, that's really sad. Um, so just remember, don't listen to everybody else. Listen to yourself. If you have a burning desire, there is a reason. Um, and I'll, I have to say 90% of my students in the last 30 years that have come to me um, is because they've had this burning desire to learn the music. Um, but they didn't know why. And it's through doing some sessions with me um, and through, you know, learning to, to use their bodies to express themselves musically that they've discovered that there was some unmet emotional, mental, you know, psychological need that they've had for years and through learning how to express themselves through music, they've discovered that. And that was the reason they had this burning desire because their body knew that that was the method that they were going to find healing or find their autonomy or find their voice or find some sort of understanding that they needed. And then they don't have lessons anymore and they go away very happy. Um, so please don't limit yourself because you think and or people tell you that you don't have potential or you're not talented. Essentially, talent is potential. Um, go to go to somebody who can actually recognise potential and just trust them. Um, and then, and trust yourself because uh, your body's speaking to you, your spirit's speaking to you, so listen. And the other thing is that, uh, the other reason that they give is that they're not going to have a career in it or use that talent publicly. And my response to that is, so? <laughs> it's in the journey. 
um, it's in the process of learning a new skill. It's in the process of being vulnerable through the, the you know, the method of arts, whichever art form you choose, that um, you really discover yourself in a way that you never have before. You find freedom in that. Um, so please, again, don't limit yourself because it's just something that you have for you in the privacy of your own home. Um, quite frankly, the arts are necessary for our health and well-being, very much so. Um, so if we go back and to the purpose of the arts and that, that being the purpose, then um, we'll all be a lot happier and healthier, I think. Thank you. You've been watching clips your weekly podcast on disability